I was, uh, it was after, just after the invasion of uh, Kuwait, uh, we got a report that, that one of the Gulf leaders was having a nervous breakdown. But medically, there is no such thing as a nervous breakdown. That's a layman's term. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any medical uh, uh, definition to it. So I didn't know that. I'm not a psychiatrist. So I, I wrote that, you know, King so-and-so was having a nervous breakdown. And I took it over to, this, to the psychiatrist. And they said, no, you can't say he's having a nervous breakdown. That doesn't mean anything. Say he's having a, a mental uh, emergency and then explain what the emergency is. And so that's what I did. And then I would send it to the president. And then the president would be able to task the National Security Advisor or the Secretary of State or the Secretary of Defense to do something about it. And then, you know, sometimes it was little stuff. Like we would have foreign leaders come to visit, friendly foreign leaders come to visit, and they would, uh, you know, stay at Blair House or they'd stay in their ambassador's residence. And the leadership analysts would say that, you know, President so-and-so enjoys playing backgammon late into the night. And so we send that to the president, and then the president invites, you know, prime minister so-and-so to play backgammon late into the night. And then we would learn later that they'd go back to their country and they'd say, oh, my God, I had the best time playing backgammon until 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, guess what? You have an 8 o'clock meeting, and so you're playing backgammon until 2 o'clock in the morning. You're only sleeping three or four hours, which means you're tired in the negotiations the next day. And you end up giving us more than we otherwise would have expected. So there, there was always a reason for doing this stuff, and it, and it worked out. So it wasn't the, it wasn't the um, psychological control that MK Ultra envisioned. It was far more subtle than that. Um, and when it came to, well, enemies, it seems like they get they get more practical. Yeah, once, more practical. I mean, those because the that the MK Ultra was horrific it was yeah but it's also not it's not it's more it's more it it was in some ways more problems for the cia than it actually solved oh absolutely because it it wasn't it didn't produce a bunch of usable information i mean there were some parts of it i think you could do but you you know maybe learn how to hypnotize people like sirhan sirhan right but there's only so much of that that you can do before it, it would lose its use anyway exactly right exactly right and then you know when it came to people like Saddam Hussein, we would get a, we would get a request from the white house. The president wants to know if Saddam's going to attack the Shia. Well, of course he's going to attack the Shia. He hates the Shia, but you can't say it like that. You have to put it in, you know, Intel speak and then pass. Well, they, they sort of encouraged him to do that in 1980. Right. I mean, that was the, without a doubt, the, they gave him the green light. That's what sure they did. Uh, sure. That's they did what Robert because, Perry wrote. Yeah. Robert Perry was exactly right because Ronald Reagan's, calculation at the time was we don't like the Iranians or the Iraqis. So it would be to our benefit for them to get in as long a war as possible and to kill as many of each other as possible. And so what we did to encourage that was we secretly provided overhead imagery classified at the top secret level to Saddam Hussein and then through the Iran-Contra machinations, we sold uh, weapons to the Iranians to be used against the Iraqis. We wanted that war to go on forever. 
Yeah, Kissinger made would make statements to that effect that he was happy that the Iranians and the Iraqis were killing each other, and oh, yeah. so did Bill Bill Casey. Bill Casey would joke like, "Oh yeah, we're trying to have him kill as many as possible." Yes, and I think what it comes down to is that they are damn they're they're fighting each other. It's also they put sanctions on both of the countries at different times, yes, uh, so that they couldn't really sell as much oil. That helps the. U.S. in terms of manipulating oil prices for whatever reasons Absolutely. they want. I mean, it and it keeps both countries high. weak long yes. in the long term. And I'll tell you another thing. We got a report. I'm going to say this was in 19 – it was before I got there, but it was in the files. And I happened to see it one time. It was like 1980 or 1981 where the Iraqis were the, – the Iranians had crossed – the border into southern Iraq, and southern Iraq is very, very swampy. At least it was then. Saddam ordered the swamps drained so that it, he could more easily kill um, Shias. So uh, the Iraqis had electrified the swamps so that when the Iranians would wade into the swamps, they would be electrocuted and they would die. And I showed this old cable to a colleague of mine, and I said, I said, this is a war crime. It's a crime against humanity. And she said, yeah, but we don't care because they were killing each other. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Well, that's the that's the mindset. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it just is that they were happier for both of those countries to be weaker rather than stronger, which is go, takes you right up to the present day, really. I mean, it does. It's the it same policy. Indeed. And and now uh, the the self flagellation is over the fact that George W. Bush took out a strong Sunni leader, uh, who was the only bulwark against uh, the Iranian theocracy, and now Iran is the most uh, influential country in Iraq, and we pretend that we don't know how we got to this this position. Did you see that in your position as an analyst and somebody who was focused on that area? I mean, did you warn about this before the Iraq war? Or? Absolutely. Absolutely. We talked about it all the time at the very highest levels of government that that if if we were to take out Saddam Hussein and not encourage another Sunni uh, tribal leader to come forward – then we would have to deal with the Iranians and Iranian influence in Iraq. And so as soon as we attacked Iraq, um, and Ambassador Bremer was named Grand Puba. I don't remember what his title was. He was the occupation governor of Iraq, I guess we can call him. Uh, the first thing he did was to ban anybody who had ever been a member of the Ba'ath Party from uh, – from being in the the governmental leadership, the intelligence services, and the national police, and we're like, this is exactly the opposite of what you're te- we're telling you is going to work. You know, the only way, if you were Sunni Muslim in New- in uh, Iraq, the only way to get ahead, the only way to put food on your table for your family was to join the Ba'ath Party. That was it. It's not because you were a true believer in Ba'ath socialism, which would have been fine too. But it was the only way to get promoted and to get a reliable job. And then we're telling you, we're telling these same people, you can never work in government again. Well, you've just eliminated pretty much every Sunni Muslim in the country from a position of leadership. Do you think 
why do you think that they he did that? I mean, this is this is a famous or infamous move that's considered one of these big blunders. Yeah. But I, I feel like there had to be some reason for it. I mean, do you mm-hmm. do you think that it was purely stupidity of like wanting a clean slate and none of these old regime people, or was In there something part. more nefarious? I mean, did they? I, I could believe all sorts of of dark things. Did they want an insurgency to some degree? Uh, or or what i mean what was was there were there ever whispers about like what a sort of darker game was being played with this or did they think not, Bruner was an not idiot at the cia the cia position was clear the cia wanted a military strongman to take over iraq once saddam was out the cia really believed and i mean they pushed this analytic line for years the cia really believed that a sunni general would sort of bubble his way up to the top and take over, perhaps as the leader of a junta. But we really believed that it would be a Sunni military leader with several stars on his shoulder. And um, that's not that's not the policy that the White House and the Pentagon were pushing. The policy at the White House was that we benefited from chaos in Iraq. That's why there yeah. was that odd statement by Donald Rumsfeld when the when the uh, national museum was being looted that sometimes people you know need to get it out of their system that looting can be a good thing a good thing it can it can relieve pressure on society no this is exactly the opposite of what we've been telling you would be good for our policy right our policy at the cia we believed should be one of stability in iraq not chaos but there was this there was this desire to punish Saddam, and not just Saddam, but his entire Tikriti clan. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe, and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire. 